This episode is brought to you by the online free conference Explore More, which kicks off April 23rd. Grab your spot now. We ask questions like, what happens when you're in relationship with a cis dude and you realize you're genderqueer? How do you navigate that conversation? Here's a sneak peek of Mia Little, adult performer, sharing their story. I think I definitely grew into it because like for a long time, I like I, I remember the day that I was just like, oh, I'm, I'm genderqueer or like I might be genderqueer. Like, what if I'm this? And I had like a bit of a panic because like. I'm in a relationship with a cis man who is like uh, identifies as a heterosexual and I'm just like this like devouring monster who wants to eat the world. <laughs> like, oh no, like what if this person like doesn't isn't able to like deal with the fact that I may be like a a genderqueer person. I'm still like grappling and figuring out like what words I want to use because like I understand there's like a spectrum and also like I I am very sensitive about like holding space um especially when it comes to like uplifting marginalized voices um and all that so like genderqueer feels right but what I was really worried about like um, how, how will that be held by my, my very, very heterosexual partner? And like, what does that mean? Like, what if I'm this? And, um, <laughs> my partner just kind of was just like, I've seen what sweatpants you wear. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> like, oh, okay. <laughs> that helps. If you want to grab your spot for the Explore More Summit, head to exploremoresummit.com. There are going to be dozens of talks available for free over the course of 10 days. And we are going to be grappling with questions like gender and being in relationship, uh, the feelings that we feel, and so many other rich things. So join us, exploremoresummit.com. You're listening to You're listening to You're listening to You're listening to Sex Gets Real. Sex gets real. Sex gets real. Sex gets real. With, With Don Sarah. With Don Sarah. Thanks. Bye. This week's episode is the live recording from our celebration of 200 episodes. So you're not only going to hear me, but you're going to hear other people asking me questions live and offering their thoughts and feelings about the questions that come up. I had a lot of fun recording this, and I think I'm probably going to do it with a little bit more regularity because it was really great to hear people asking questions in real time, but also offering each other support. Patreon supporters, you're going to get something that no one else in the world, literally, no one else is going to get. So if you support the show at $3 or more at patreon.com slash sex gets real, you get weekly bonuses. And this week's bonus is something super special. Therapist uh, Quinn G, who is one of the speakers at this year's Explore More Summit, has some really, really, really rich thoughts around the coming out process and how it actually harms the most marginalized. 
About halfway through this episode, you'll hear a little tease from her full summit talk. But Patreon supporters, you're actually going to get an exclusive like 15-20 minute clip of our talk. And it is one of the funniest stories from the entire summit. And it has to do with strap-ons. So if you support the show at $3 or above, you get to hear that content almost a month before anybody else gets to hear it. And again, it is a hysterical story (laughs) about Quinn and strap-ons. But yeah, you'll hear a little bit more from Quinn about coming out halfway through the episode. So without further ado, here was our live celebration episode. To everybody who's listening, you are listening to the live taping of our celebratory Sex Gets Real episode. This is celebrating the 200th episode of Sex Gets Real. And we're about to cross that 4 million download mark. So we're like pre-celebrating because I'm confident we will cross it. If we don't, it's because podcasts everywhere died. So I don't think that'll happen. We'll cross 4 million super soon. And so there's a whole bunch of amazing folks here with me tonight. You'll probably hear some of their voices at some point and we will get started. So I want to open it up to the people who are actually here with me and find out what kinds of questions that you have for me that you'd like me to answer and or open up to the group. Hi, so my name's DL and I live in Western Massachusetts. And my question is, I stopped drinking a little over a year ago. And since I was, I mean, since I was really young, I would say like a preteen is when I started drinking. And so the vast majority of like my sex life was influenced by drinking culture at large, but also specifically for me, like I have, I I, like identify as someone with like a drinking problem and like substance use problem. And so, um, no longer drinking, I've noticed that my body is different when it's being touched. Um, whether that's, you know, trauma is probably involved in that too, as I have, I am like a sexual assault survivor. Um, but I guess what I don't hear a lot, um, what, like no matter what, what sex educator I'm following, I don't hear too, too, too much, um, about the impact that drinking has on on folks not even just like emotionally but actually on like a physical level like what like substance use does to our like pleasure receptors and our ability to like feel things in our body um after like intense severe like uh, abuse of it because what I've noticed is that like my body goes numb if I'm touched in certain ways which I know is like partially a trauma response but also like just that I don't have the same um I don't have the same energy anymore it's not it's it's different which is fine it's fine that it's different but I'm not finding the resources out there um to help me kind of navigate the difference the like the discrepancy of like I used to drink and be way more wet or you know TMI but like yeah like there's just like my body just responds differently and I'm not able to like feel pleasure as quickly or as intensely anymore and you know a lot of like sobriety groups and like even if it whether it's AA or like alternative methods of sobriety like even those groups like aren't really talking about sexuality that much um and I feel like for me like what I witness is that it's like a lot of 
lot of um, shame around like deviance. Okay, um, I'll probably end it there, but essentially I'm just like wondering if you have any resources or advice. Well, thank you for going first and for sharing your question with all of us. I appreciate the courage that that took and the vulnerability as well. Uh, So I will start by just asking anybody listening or who's here, have you seen any resources in this space or have any experiences that you'd like to share before I weigh in? I'm seeing head nods. No. All right. So I have several thoughts. The first is, I think part of the reason you don't see a lot of resources about this is because it's probably not being studied by very many people. Mm -hmm. And when people aren't studying it, then people don't usually talk about it. You know, doctors don't even really understand orgasm in just like the most typical situations as it is. Uh, Not to say that there aren't resources out there, but um, a couple of thoughts that I have. One, I would love to reach out to some of my networks and see if anybody's actually talking about this intersection because I know a couple of people who are in recovery and a couple of the networks that I'm in. So I'd love to talk to them and then just share resources on like the sex gets real page or something for you. Cause I don't have anything off the top of my head. The second thought that I have is around your body going numb and the energy feeling different. The numbness I think is really interesting. Uh, I'm wondering if there's like some dissociation happening And if you've done any work around like mindfulness or somatic practices, have you done anything in that realm? No, not really. Like um, the like type of therapy that folks do, is that what you're talking about? Like, yeah. 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 Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's (laughs) that. like, uh, what is it? EMDR. That's been like suggested to me. I don't really have the money to get that kind of therapy right now, like to even have a therapist at the moment. So like that is on my mind, but I'm kind of like trying to struggle along without it, Mm -hmm. um, without having that resource. So, so I would recommend a couple of things just around like embodiment, because a lot of what I'm hearing is there's been a disconnect in the way that your body and your mind communicate for a really long time. They've had a lot of assistance with other substances or experiences. So getting your body and your mind to communicate one without substances and two, when you've got trauma is just going to take some time. But I also think that if you have some practices around mindfulness, embodiment, somatic experiences, that could be really, really interesting and just helping to map new ways to experience pleasure in your body. That's a process that I'm personally going through right now with a somatic therapist, and it takes a really long time. That said, there are some amazing books out there that if... Therapy is not in the budget. Uh, The library will probably have books by Peter Levine. He's got a number of books that are all about somatic healing. uh, And also the Bessel van der Kolk book, The Body Keeps the Score. Mm -hmm. That's all about the ways that body holds on to trauma and PTSD. But the second half of the book has tremendous resources around um, EMDR therapy, somatic 
therapy and different ways that people are, are doing somatic work. And so that might send you down some paths where you could get some um, trainings and some videos online. Like I know Peter Levine has a couple of sessions online that you can just watch to start kind of getting a sense of it. Um, and then there's this really awesome somatic therapist that I would recommend checking out named Sage Hayes. It's H-A-Y-E-S. Sage is the super rad queer somatic therapist that also does a lot of body-based therapies. And they have this beautiful Facebook page called Embodied Liberation. Uh, and they also have a blog. And so that might be a way to just kind of check out resources and learn little tidbits along the way that you might be able to check out. I'm also thinking like the shame around the deviance absolutely is probably why you're hearing a lot of silence around this. People are trying to um, probably do right by themselves and unfortunately thinking that sex and pleasure means that you don't have access to that. Um, but I really think that oftentimes we create either blocks or neural pathways, right? That don't lead to our pleasure. So whether it's a trauma response and a dissociation, or we even see this with people who like masturbate really intensely in one specific way. And then when they try to masturbate or experience pleasures in other ways, they have a really difficult time getting off. And it's because their body just doesn't know how to deal with pleasure that way. So I think understanding it's probably going to take time. It's been a year, which is great, but it might take a couple of years of just slowly reintegrating with the body and understanding it might be different and finding ways to celebrate the different. Um, but I would definitely recommend checking out as many resources as you can around uh, somatic experiences and embodied experiences. Um, Tantra can be really good for that too. So if you want to check out Barbara Corellis's Urban Tantra, she has all kinds of awesome exercises, like step-by-step -step exercises in that book around breath work and moving pleasure through your entire body and having breathgasms and crygasms and all kinds of different ways of just like moving pleasure through your body using Tantra techniques. So that might be an interesting place to explore too, because it's going to be new. So it might be a way to just kind of be like, whoa, I have never done pleasure this way. So this could feel really fun instead of kind of trying to recapture what was. But I'll definitely reach out to my networks about the resources. And as I get those, I'll either mention it on a future episode um, or tweet about it, something like that, because I would love to find more for you. Thanks. Yeah, sure. Uh, so in the chat, I'm not sure where you live. My therapist works on a sliding scale. So that might be an option that is being offered. Yeah, finding a sliding scale person. Um, if not now, then maybe down the road for sure. Yeah, thank you for that suggestion. Okay, anybody else have questions that they want to throw at me? Hi, okay. I'm Emily. I'm from New Jersey. Um, I'm living with uh, body issues. Uh, I'm, I'm a curvy girl. Um, the only problem that I have is my stomach. Everything else about me, I love. But the... the every, like the only thing I have is just my stomach. Um, I can't seem to get past that. Everything else, I, it's kind of hard for me to speak about because um, I've now seen my boyfriend of a year and a month. Um, 
and he's very touchy-feely and that's a little uncomfortable for me not only that but people at my job they love to interject their voice in about me and my body and that's kind of hard because it's I, I don't know how to live and feel comfortable in my own skin. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can't even, it's hard for me to even talk about it because like, because like my, my, my dad, he, he kind of pokes at me like, haha, you're, you're a big girl. Or like, I was like, you can't, you can't. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, thank you for, sharing that I know sometimes words around stuff like that can be really hard to find so I appreciate that you um, shared what you did and that's a a feeling that I know I have had more than once in my life Um, just today I was sharing a story um, about someone who had commented on my body years ago and you know at the time when the person commented on my body it crushed me Like it totally crushed me. I was not in a place where I felt comfortable with people acknowledging that my body looked the way that it was. I didn't want people acknowledging my stomach or other parts of me. So uh, that is a a feeling I know well. Um, And I think there's a couple of different ways that you can start kind of exploring the space of feeling a little bit more comfortable Uh, If anybody who's on the call has experienced something similar and you want to share something in the chat or ask any questions or even take yourself off mute and offer any advice, um, please do share or ask anything that you might have for Emily. My first question is, Emily, for you, are you following any folks on social media that like post lots of pictures of fat bellies being super badass? Currently, no, I am definitely in the process of looking for one, but currently, no. Yeah. So that has been super helpful for me in that I've filled my Instagram full of people who are so proud of their like big bellies that like hang over their pants or hang over their undies. And they're just out there in the bikini and rocking a crop top. And at first, because I had so many issues about my tummy, because I have a big tummy too, it was really uncomfortable for me to see people being okay with their tummies. Like I was just like, Holy, if I ever got seen like that, I would want to die. Like it was, it was painful and terrifying and awful. But then I found that over time, as I watched these people, just like, I am rocking my bikini and you can't even see my bottoms because my tummy is so big and like, who cares? Look at it from the back. And they were just being so unapologetic. And I was seeing it all the time. It started to become normal. And I actually just had this experience maybe like three weeks ago where I saw myself naked in a mirror. And instead of having my normal feeling that I've had for most of my life of like, oh God, if I could get rid of this tummy, like I would feel so much better. And then I would catch myself thinking, no, my tummy, you know, like I love my stomach. It's a part of me, even if we have a complicated history, but I like looked at myself in the mirror and actually was like, cool. And I had never had that experience. Like I I turned 40 this year and I had never had that experience in my lifetime about my stomach to have that completely neutral. Cool. Was so shocking in that moment because I had never felt that before. So I just want to offer like, 
it takes some time to start untelling a lot of those stories because everything around us is constantly reinforcing to have a tummy is like the worst thing. If you've got a big belly, like flatten your abs in six weeks and, you know, like 10 exercises to bikini, but I mean, it's just like effing everywhere. So fuck all of that. But filling my Instagram feed and my Twitter feed with fat activists who are just like, look at my tummy trained my brain to see like these people are wanted and loved and sexualized and proud and like maybe someday I can start feeling that way too but it's made even harder when you have people making comments about your body which I'm hearing you do like coworkers and your dad and that can be a really complicated place because what needs to happen And whether or not that's something you're able to do now is are two different things. But what needs to happen is a really firm boundary, right? Of it's not okay for you to comment about my body and it makes me feel uncomfortable. And if you do it again, then unfortunately I'm going to leave. And at some point, hopefully you'll learn that commenting about my body just isn't okay. But I'll excuse myself from the conversation because this isn't for you to comment on. I'm struggling right now. But it's hard to find our voice and to say those things with people that we have professional relationships with or family relationships with that come with all kinds of other complications. So I think you need to just kind of sit with it and ask, what kinds of boundaries do I feel comfortable setting and doing so in just like a very firm, unapologetic way? And when that's not possible, how can I just remove myself from the situation? changing the subject, stepping away to the bathroom to get some air, um, maybe pulling up your Instagram and looking at a whole bunch of fat tummies just to like get a little bit of solidarity before you walk back out. But, you know, our lives are, are really complicated. So ideally it's, hey, I need to set a boundary about this because I'm struggling and it hurts. And I'd like you to not do this anymore. And then people respect it. But um, that's clean and that's not how human beings are. So I think just kind of ask yourself, what do I need to care for me in those moments if I can't set that boundary or if I try and it's not respected, you know, whether it's going and walking away or calling for backup or pretending like you have a phone call or whatever it is. Um, Just know that you don't deserve to have your body commented on that way. And so the more that you can just kind of remember that and recite, like, I don't deserve this this isn't theirs to comment on. I can't say anything about it right now, but when I get home, I'm going to like punch the shit out of my pillow and be angry because it's not fair. Uh, So let yourself have the feelings and do whatever you need to do to survive that moment. And then I would recommend just trying to find lots of body, like add a positivity, which I'll link to when this episode airs. uh, If you haven't found it, like add a positivity changed my life. Seeing all of these pictures of naked people being naked on purpose in their fat bodies, like thousands of pictures by Substanza Jones of these fat bodies and just being like, holy crap, so many people have bodies like mine or even bigger. And they're just like being naked for the world to see was so freeing, but it it took a lot of time. So I just want you to know you're not alone. I have so felt that in the past, when I had a lover try to like touch my, my belly, I would recoil, like, don't touch me there because it, it disgusts me and you can't possibly love me for this. And then having just, it took years, right. Of slowly, slowly, slowly being in community. Um, but no, like 
the world is a pretty hard place around that kind of stuff. So it's, it's not anything to do with you and it's all the messages around us. Is that a little bit helpful? Yeah, it's definitely helpful. Yeah, it's, it's hard to be intimate with him and not feel like I need to hide mm-hmm. a part of me just so I can enjoy it. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with needing to hide it. I did that for years. And if what you need is to be close to someone and to feel loved and to have pleasure, and in order to do that, you need to cover up for a little while or have the lights low or wear like a really super cute piece of lingerie that covers the parts that you don't like, then do that. You know, like the world's trained you to not like this part of yourself and you still get to enjoy pleasure and you still get to enjoy sex and you still get to enjoy being in this relationship with whoever you're around. So whatever you need to do now to enjoy that a little more, do the thing. And then just know like longer term, I'm going to start reading these fat positive books or looking at these fat positive Instagrams or doing whatever it is that'll help you to start unlearning that, but survive now and give yourself access to that pleasure. So if that means candles only and a sheet around you or something like that, then do what you have to do to get through it. Like don't force yourself to try and do something that just makes you feel even more scared or alone or like you don't deserve to be touched. Like cover it up and then bounce around and do whatever else feels good, right? Because you deserve it. So yeah, be kind to yourself and you're not alone. And thank you so much for sharing. Um, Someone in the chat just offered, uh, when I work with body positivity, I also work in making peace through self-pleasure. So when you're masturbating, try to find the touches that feel good in parts that you'd cover up with other people. So that can be, that can be really challenging, but it can be worth a try. Like what happens when you start talking to your tummy? You know, what if you were to have a conversation with your tummy around like, I have really complicated feelings about you and I don't, I don't know if I can like let people see you right now, but I'm trying and see how that feels, right? We have to get creative in acknowledging the whole of our body. So thank you for, for sharing that uh, in the chat. And thank you, Emily, for sharing your question. I know like literally thousands of people who listen to this are going to be right there with you in those fields and right there with you with the question. So I appreciate it. If anybody else has any thoughts or questions, pop them in the chat. Um, Oh, I see another question coming in. So thank you so much, Emily. I really appreciate you being here and sharing this. And uh, if I think of any other resources or if you have follow-up questions, like ping me on social media and also be sure to just check my Instagram for who I follow. Cause like I literally follow hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of like fat, awesome people who are just like, look at my belly. So just like go follow right down the line over there. (laughs) Thank you. Okay, so uh, there's a question that came in in the chat. Uh, Also, somebody said they found the body is not an apology to be an amazing resource. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I have a question that requires a content warning for sexual assault. Is that all right? Not sure if it's the right question for this episode, but I can ask it and you can pass it on. Yes, absolutely. So content warning for sexual assault. We are naming that. If anybody needs to step away or not listen, please care for yourself, whoever you need to. And I would love to know what the question is. All right. As a sex educator, 
my conceptions of sex, quote unquote, have expanded far beyond penis and vagina penetration. I think back on sexual encounters that I had as a teen, which at the time I would never have thought of as sex, but now I definitely do. With expanded definitions of sex, I wonder about words like rape and sexual assault and the way that definitions of those words could or should potentially change as well. It's a scary and confusing thought, and I'm not even sure how useful the conversation is. Have you thought about this? And in this context, when is defining and redefining useful and when is it not? Ooh, that's really juicy. Yeah. So I think that, uh, I think that what happens for me in these, around these conversations, which this is a really, really good question is, um, what gets expanded more between those two words is sexual assault. So for me, rape is usually some type of like forced penetration. Something's going in a body. Now you can absolutely like rape a mouth or rape a butt or rape whatever hole there is. And I think like what it gets expanded for me is the sexual assault realm. So if we're talking about like breasts being touched or um, bodies being pressed together and those things count as sex because they absolutely do for some people, um, or masturbation, uh, which absolutely is sex too, then to do those things without people's consent is actually, is sexual assault. So what I've found is that that has expanded tremendously as far as what happens when we're wielding our power and using it over others or trying to take autonomy away. Um, there's a lot more when sex is broader then the opportunities for harm and abuse obviously are much broader. Now, a lot of people don't see it that way because they don't think certain acts are sex and they might be sex to, to some people and not others. So it becomes a really um, tough gray space. Uh, and I think that's a place where we don't yet have very good resources or dialogues in our culture, um, because for a lot of people, sex is going to be something that many other people would never in a million years consider sex. And so how do we then start bridging those gaps and having the nuanced conversations? Because inevitably feelings are going to be really, really, really big when we're in this space. So I certainly don't have answers um, just because I think I can't possibly know everybody else's definitions, but I think just asking the question and letting it be there um, and the really uncomfortable conversations that might come out of that is an important one. Like it, it changes a lot of things when we start talking about access to other people's bodies and what types of um, power we, we wield. There's a big opportunity for not only assault and like actual intended harm, but also unintended harm and making mistakes. And then like, how do we make, make room for genuine mistakes that do cause harm? Uh, without malicious intent, you know, it's, it's a great big messy ball. And I think that's one of the reasons why when we hear people talk about consent, it's often so binary, like here's the yeses and here's the no's and anything in the middle just counts as a no, because people are scared of that messy, messy space. They don't know how to navigate it. So instead of navigating it, it just becomes like, oh, well, everything goes over into this category. But I think we miss a lot that way. Uh, I'm not sure if I 
totally. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Thank you for just naming that. Uh, Cause I think that's something that doesn't get named a lot. You know, generally when we're talking about sexual assault and rape, uh, the conversation tends to go back to our more narrow definitions of sex. And so you're right. Like when there's a thousand ways to have sex and not just this kind, then there's a thousand different ways that someone could absolutely manipulate and use power over another. That is, is not from a place of mutual enjoyment. So yeah, big, ugly, messy space that needs more conversation. Uh, that was slightly terrifying to ask, but I really appreciate your validation of the question. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for being brave. Yay, I loved the question too. My brain is like, oh God, now I've got to talk to a whole bunch of people about this and like suss out my thoughts and my feelings. This is huge. That could be like 10 blog posts, just like teasing that out and sussing that out. So thank you for, thank you for the brain food. I like it. Are you ready for another sneak peek from one of the talks at Explore More Summit 2018? Well, here is therapist Quinn G talking about her complicated feelings about the coming out process. First of all, I have a complicated relationship with the process of coming out because straight people don't have to come out. Cis people don't have to come out. Why should anybody else? You come out when it's safe for you and when you want to. And people don't understand the coming out process is lifelong. Like when you go to a new job, like, oh, well, I got to let them know I'm gay, you know? And so that's why I always joke and I say, I don't know if you know, but I'm black, you know? So it's my coming out thing, you know, like mocking it because it's, it's so harmful to the people who have to do it. The problem is this idea that I have to let people know, I have to announce something so people aren't confused. I, I just don't see how that's helpful for you. And I always tell them that like, okay, who are you doing this for? Are you doing it because you feel this overwhelming need to just declare something and it's important to you to be open? Or are you doing it so that you can kind of get ahead of the judgment and like try to tailor the conversation? Because that will never happen. I would love to see each and every one of you at Explore More this year. It is free. It is online. It kicks off April 23rd. We are talking about things like coming out and navigating long-term relationships and pleasure and bodies and diet culture and gender nonconformity and trans issues and emotional intelligence. And of course, all within the theme of play and curiosity. So please join us. Head to exploremoresummit.com for more. And if you support on Patreon, patreon.com slash sexgetsreal, you are about to get some yummy hysterical ear candy from Quinn G. Back to the live episode. All right. Uh, I am going to uh, read one of the questions that came in. There was uh, three questions that I received. So I want to make sure that I get to um, as many of them as I can. So the first one is pretty short because I only have one, one answer, but we'll see if everybody here has anything. So somebody said, I've researched a lot on ejaculating dildos and I'm highly interested. Do you have a suggestion? Have you tried any? 
I'm looking for one that will, will work without using a syringe and that works with a harness. So this person's looking for ejaculating dildos of which there are many different kinds. I have never used one. I've always been intrigued, but I've never actually used one myself. So I turned to Sugar Butch, Sinclair Sexsmith, who I just interviewed uh, last week. So their content was fresh in me and Alex's minds. And uh, Sinclair recommends this uh, ejaculating dildo called the Seamanette, uh, which we will have to forgive the name, but I'm going to post in the chat a link to Sugar Butch's blog post about it. So the Seamanette uh, has some wins and some not so good things. It's a pretty hard silicone. So it's not like a soft kind of um, realistic silicone. So if you're looking for kind of like a softer feel for your dildo, that this isn't it. Um, but it does have a base that's harness ready and it does have a little pump so that you can like ejaculate through it using the little pump uh, on the bulb. And uh, Sinclair said that it's it's one of the best ones that they've seen. Bad Dragon also has some ejaculating dildos, but um, I've heard mixed things about that. Coincidentally, you can also get a dildo that deposits alien eggs inside of you through Bad Dragon. So if you're interested in that, then they make that too. Check it out. Uh, but yeah, if you're looking for an ejaculating dildo, then Semenet, I think is probably your best bet based on what I was able to find. Okay, uh, so I got a question from somebody that was um, rather long. And so just in the interest of getting through the entire question, I removed a handful of paragraphs. It's still going to be a little bit long, but uh, it'll give us a little bit of backstory. And then I would love to hear your thoughts about it before I weigh in. So prep yourselves. Hey Dawn, thanks for allowing me to be part of your special celebration episode. I feel very lucky to be able to take part in this. My question is about communication in a relationship in general, but also about respect. This is long. I've been in a relationship with the same man for a little over three and a half years with a breakup last year of about four to five months. When things are good between us, it's amazing. Our issues have always come down to communication or a lack thereof. When it comes to tough conversations, the awkward topics, discussing finances, resolving big fights, sharing scary feelings, we really suck. We have no problems expressing our love for one another or talking about our hopes. My worry is we won't have much of a future or the future that we want together if we can't stop walking on eggshells around the big stuff. I've been doing a lot of self-reflection, learning and listening over the last year or so. I'm unlearning a ton of shit that I held very deeply within myself for most of my life, and I'm noticing a lot more in the world that pisses me off. I'm getter, getting better at expressing myself, but I'm not saying I'm perfect. He says he's afraid to say things to me or bring up issues to me that may either cause a fight because it's something he knows is a hot topic and or cause a breakup. So he says he just keeps stuff to himself instead. This can be superficial stuff as well as serious issues. Our fights almost always end with him either hanging up on me slamming a door and walking away without explanation. It happens 95% of the time and I hate it. It's usually followed by a long silence. Recently, I've taken the not standing for the unexplained silences any longer on account of it triggered my anxiety. I don't mind one bit if he needs some space after an argument to cool down or gather his thoughts, 
And I personally love having my own space, but explaining it in a respectful manner instead of just hanging up or slamming the door is something that I've asked for many times. I want us to have deeper conversations to help each other grow, to truly support each other in ways that are meaningful, to talk about all the things, and to not feel like we have to do the eggshell thing around fights. I want all those things, and yet I still have a list of notes on my phone from the last fight we had that I haven't been able to bring up. I feel like he's actively choosing a lot of the time to not do the things I ask for. But am I also making choices that are leading to our demise? Why can't I just say the things? I love him dearly, and I absolutely envision my life with him. I sometimes feel choked, like I don't have a voice, and that's not the person I see myself as. I'd love to see a therapist, but I have no idea how to bring it up. I have one and she's amazing, but just not a couples therapist. The next step in the relationship is expected to be me moving out to where he is. Uh, And we've talked about it a lot. We used to share listings back and forth, but I had to put a pause on that because I know we have bigger issues to iron out before I'm ready to sell my house, rebuild my business in a new town and make that big move. I've come to realize lately how much emotional labor I'm doing and have done in this relationship. So what's your take on all this? Am I just addicted to the relationship and to him? Is it fear? I feel like the foundation of us is so shaky that I'm terrified to move. So for those of you listening, what thoughts, experiences, or advice would you like to share before I weigh in? Well, in the relationships that we choose, I think that for some people, yes, communication is the... um, the the privileged choice and it is for me it's very important and I usually work into putting people into communicating putting putting couples into communicating but this I, I don't know the the name of this person this person uh, has to to first of all decide what is important for for this person in the relationship. I think that this is the most important part uh, because if the most important is to have this way of showing love that they have, it's also a legitimate choice. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It's also, but if it's not, and it seems that it's for the email, that it's getting more and more complicated to conduct this just by shows of love, just by, there are some strategy when together that they can use, like asking for a timeout before things escalate. This usually works before things escalate and create a sign, create a funny word so that it's something that unblocks, something that it's funny for both of you. And that you have like one little secret that it's funny for those, those little funny. And when things start to escalate, you say that word or you do that sign that goes to, to that space. And you know that it's a time to, to cool off. But first this person has to decide if it's a relationship with communication and where things like finances and serious things, because this can be serious and this can be shared or this can be unshared and can be a part of each life. And each person has their own serious issues. Mm -hmm. So decide the format of the relationship, what is important, Mm -hmm. and then try to create small strategies 
or decide if you want to stay or not in this relationship. Ultimately. Thank you so much for sharing that. I really, I, I totally agree. I love starting with figuring out what's important to you and where are you willing to have to do some work, right? Because inevitably in relationships, we have to work on something. Uh, But, you know, is this a place where you want to continue doing labor? And if not, that's super okay. I think it's, I think it's really interesting that most people will say we're really good communicators. It's just when we disagree about something or we have a fight that's not so good. Most of us are really great communicators when things are easy. So it's really, really the test of when we're having a big feelings day or um, when we're having a disagreement around something, how are we communicating? And there's no right way to do conflict. Uh, the Gottman Institute has found that if people have similar conflict styles, then relationships can thrive, even when the conflict looks unhealthy to everyone else. So if you have two people who are conflict avoidant, both avoiding and they're happy with the avoiding, they can actually be in a super healthy relationship. Um, If you have two people who love conflict and they love screaming and they love throwing things and getting really angry, but they both communicate that way and it feels good to them, that can actually be a really healthy conflict style for those two people. It can be really challenging though when you have people with different conflict styles trying to then bridge that gap. Like if you have someone who wants to avoid and someone who like loves getting in your face, that's going to be a really difficult place to try and find a way to meet in the middle. So I think it's really interesting that this person's partner is the kind of person who kind of like escalates up and then has to shut things down really quickly. So, and I think what else is interesting is that there, there have been multiple requests to like not slam down the phone, don't stump out of the room, like this isn't okay. And then it continues to happen. And so I think that's interesting. I think that's just something to pay attention to. I really love the idea that you offered around the techniques of just kind of like, hey, we're starting to reach the the boiling point and maybe we need a little break. Um, Dylan used to talk about how uh, with her and her ex-wife, one of the things that they their therapist taught them to do is if they were starting to get into a conflict and one of them was starting to feel overstimulated, they would throw a beanie baby on the ground. They would just like, there was a beanie baby they kept in a basket and they would like, you know, the yelling would be happening or the feelings would be getting really high and they were about to say something they regretted. They would just be like, grab the beanie baby and you throw it on the ground and everybody stops. And then you just take your space. You take 15 or 20 minutes and come back together. Um, Alex and I will use the word tangerine. So we use that um, also when we're in social settings and we need to escape or um, we need to be saved from something. Like if we're at a party and something terrible happens, it's just like, hey, have you had any tangerines lately? And then that's the cue of like, Let's get out of here. So having code words like that, I think is a great ritual to have that you can work into uh, conflict. I think the thing that is really, really important to name is just the feelings around the emotional labor that are being done. Ultimately, we can never change a partner. We can grow together. We can choose to change together. Uh, all kinds of things happen inside of relationship, but we can never force someone to change. 
And we often when we expect them to change, the pressure of the expectation causes the other person to double down and shut down and change less, right? Because there's this feeling of, I'm not good enough. I'm already failing. So I'm just going to pull inside and shut down even more, which is the opposite of what we want. But when those expectations start to become clear, that's often the self-protective mechanism that happens. So I think the idea of getting a therapist, if you're invested in this relationship and you're willing to be patient and do some more work, then getting a therapist and someone that can help you to practice skills together and kind of like mediate some of those um, differing conflict styles could be really, really powerful. But you also have to decide what happens if I pick up and I move and I get there and they say they're going to respect the boundaries and they say they're going to go to therapy and then they don't. Is that a decision that you can live with? If not, then I think finding ways to work on the relationship where you are Um, either doing couples counseling online, using something like Talkspace or a therapist like Gina Senarigi, who will do video conferencing with clients so that you can be in multiple locations might be a really helpful thing. I also think that often we kind of know the answer deep down inside of ourselves and we, we often don't want to trust it because we can think ourselves out of our gut instinct. So if there's a way to just kind of like really rawly sit with what's the feeling inside is the feeling inside this like deep-seated fear that this is something that you really want and um, doing the work means being seen in ways you've never seen before and so you're thinking about exiting because that feels scary or is there a feeling inside of I'm kind of exhausted and I kind of need something different And I'm really scared that this person can't give that to me. I think that's a really important feeling to be able to listen to. Um, Of course, there's all kinds of books out there that can help you. The Relationship Skills Workbook, I think, is one of the best books out there at just helping you to find new ways to communicate really clearly around, this is the feeling I'm having because of this action or behavior that you exhibited. And here's the request that I need to make. Um, in order for this to feel better or for us to shift something. And if both of you are learning that technique, it can be super powerful. And it's even really powerful if just you learn it and your partner doesn't, but you start practicing it Um, because the statements they teach you to make are unarguable. So if the statement you make is unarguable, then it means that person can't argue with it. Um, And that can be a really powerful way to to be seen. And I think the tough thing is because you're both walking on eggshells, especially around things like finances and fights, one of you is going to have to go first. And that's like a terrifying prospect of being the one who's going to be super vulnerable and potentially get super hurt. But either one of you has to go first or none of you go first and this just disintegrates anyway. So what are you willing to kind of get super vulnerable around? And be the one to just kind of like jump on those eggshells and say, here's some of the things I'm really worried about. And here's some of the things that I really, really need. And is this something that you are willing to do? And can we make this work? And can we talk about strategies? And if that conversation can't happen, then I think you get some answers. Um, But it's, 
not easy and it's not complicated, but I think one of the keys is you don't know how to bring up talking to a therapist. It might just be that you have to be awkward and throw it out there and tell him, uh, look, I just want you to think about this. I've been thinking about it a really long time. You don't have to give me a response right now. You don't have to think of the words. I would really like for us to go to couples therapy. So sit with that and let's circle back in like a week and then see what happens. Um, And just try kind of setting some of those boundaries around. I don't need you to tell me how you're feeling if you're not ready, but I need you to hear me in this way. And ultimately I think just trust your gut. I mean, emotional labor is effing exhausting and often it doesn't get better you know, because the people that we're in relationship with, what's the motivation? Uh, when we're doing all this labor, there's not a lot of motivation to step up and start doing more labor without some really tough conversations, and like come to Jesus meetings. Uh, so I think you have to just kind of sit and decide how tired are you? And if you're really tired, because you've already done a lot of work, and it's not getting better, then, you know, it might be the time to just really ask yourself, if I were to unflinchingly center myself and what I need to care for me, what does that look like? And then see if the relationship fits into that. So thank you so much for writing in. I'm sorry I had to cut so much out of your email, but I wanted to make sure we had a chance to get through as much of it as possible. Uh, I have two other questions that are waiting, but I want to open it up and see uh, if anybody else has any questions that are here on the call, because I want to make sure I prioritize those. Um, in the chat, I'm seeing, ah, that's so real, thinking ourselves out of our gut instincts. Oh, I am so good at thinking myself out of my gut instincts. Uh, and then, yes, Dawn, I was going to say, it sounds like her intuition is really on point. I try to get curious about what's coming up for me, and that helps me get grounded. It's how I strengthen my inner voice. Exactly. So, like, trusting those feelings of, I kind of feel like I'm doing a lot of emotional labor. That's a really, really important thing to recognize because now you can start taking steps of reducing that emotional labor and or asking someone to step up and do more. Like actually having the language for that is a huge step because most people don't even realize that's why they're exhausted. So go you for having that, that language. Yay. Uh, yes. Okay. So does anybody else ha- on the call have any questions that they want to throw at me or I will, I think we have time for maybe one more. Uh, So I have two questions that came in an email. So whichever question I don't get to, I'll just do on another podcast episode. But let me know if any of you here have something. Oh, I'm seeing waves. Um, Hi. Especially at add-on to to the to the recent question. Um, for me and my relationship, it's definitely hard to communicate because we're both. When we're upset, we literally shut down and don't even talk and just stare at face without even letting the other person know that we're in our space, which is really bad because then I notice he's upset and I'm asking, hey, what's wrong? Are you okay? Like, and he's like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I don't, I don't want to talk about it. I'm like, okay, I'm going to let you in your space. Mm-hmm. When you're ready, come back to me. But then it takes them like the next day to come to me and tell me, Oh, I'm mad about this, or I'm mad about this. I'm like, okay. And I give him my input on it, and he's still a little like, oh, well, well. I'm like, I'm trying to tell you how what I feel about this, and you're still like, not even taking it in. You're still a little like, 
you're shutting your you're shutting me out my my opinion out and not listening to me like you're not even like today I did I did something so horrible to him uh, I feel so bad about it but he wanted to be intimate with me but I fell asleep on him <laughs> I feel so bad but I fell asleep on him and this morning today he looked he, he looked he was quiet he wasn't happy I was like he was wrong and then later afternoon he, he tells me you fell asleep on me I was like oh, I'm sorry I'm so sorry that I fell asleep on you but like I understand that you wanted some, but I'm tired and work is so exhausting. I can't even. But I'm sorry. Like, he was so quiet for, like, from six in the morning to like mm. two o'clock in the afternoon. He was quiet throughout the whole entire day. And I, I kept asking, hey, what's wrong? What's wrong? Are you okay? So, what are you hoping would be different? I'm hoping that you, you would at least tell me, hey, listen, I'm upset right now. Um, I kind of want to be in my own space. At least tell me. Like, if you're mm-hmm. upset, fine. Be upset. Be in your space. But give me the heads up first so I can figure out yeah. what I'm going to do or what I'm going to say. Because I try to do that. I try to be like, okay, listen, I'm upset right now. And I don't want to talk about it. But when I'm ready, I'll let you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I made a mistake of not doing that because I had a, a, a massage appointment uh, Tuesday. And he's on his phone with his friends. And when he talks to his friends, he talks so, like, inappropriate. And he was doing that. And I was just like, I can't believe you're talking like this in a place like this. I can't even. I got so upset and so angry that I had to stop mm. before I, like, explode. Like, and I know that if I do that, it's going to get worse. And I just, I can't. I'm going to stop talking about it right now because I'm just going to get even more upset. Mm. Yeah. And I just want him to tell me that I'm, I'm not happy right now. Mm-hmm. Um, let me let me be in the space, and then I'll come back to you. And he doesn't he doesn't do that. I try to do that. I try to like tell him I'm not happy. Yeah, let me be here, and then I'll come back to you. Yeah, I think it's really important for us to be able to find some language of here's what I'm not capable of right now. So here's what I need. And not everybody is at a place where they're capable of that. And unfortunately, that can lead to a lot of emotional labor. I noticed that in lots and lots of relationships where it's a guy uh, and someone who's feminine identified that often it's the guy who just like totally shuts down and withdraws and doesn't say anything until he's ready, uh, which causes a lot of labor on the partner of kind of like, I think something's wrong. Is there something going on? Do you need space? Do you want to talk? And so there's a couple of different ways you can handle this. One, making the request of, I would really appreciate it, that if you're starting to like swirl around in your head, that you just let me know, like, hey, I just need some space. I'm trying to figure stuff out. But not everybody's capable of that. A lot of people are super internal processors, and they just go so in to process that they don't even know that they're going in. So how do we care for ourselves around that? Now, it's different if it's like they don't talk to you for days, then I think that's really shitty. But if it's a couple of hours or like overnight or a morning and they're just kind of sitting in it and then they come to you and they share something, I think that's a really important moment to to just acknowledge like, I appreciate that you've come to me and shared this with me. Uh, and what do you need from me? So that they know it's safe when they finally do come out of that inner processing spiral 
to actually share it with you and know it's going to be received with love and thanks instead of here's all the things you did wrong. Um, and I think just finding ways to care for ourselves, you know, like some people literally just don't, aren't in a place where they can find those words yet. And you have to decide how do I care for me if he's not ready to do that? So I can make the ask, this would make me like feel a little bit better just to know what's going on with you. So I don't have to wonder, but if he's just not at a place where he can do that, then deciding, all right, I've noticed he's being quiet and he's kind of shutting down and I want to pester him and I want to ask the questions and I want to find out what's going on. But I know that when I do that, he just gets even more withdrawn. So I'm going to go read my favorite book and maybe I will just send him a little text message that's like, Hey, notice you're being quiet. When you're ready to talk, come find me. I'm going to be going doing something that feels good for me uh, and just care for self around that. And then eventually he'll probably come to you. So if that feels like a way that you can care for yourself around that, totally do it. I think it's so hard with internal processors who just like totally go in and can't find the language. Um, But what I've found is the more that you badger them, the longer the process takes. So just kind of decide for yourself, how can you care for yourself around that process until he finds the words? And then hopefully when he does find the words, that's a point where there can be some like connection. Um, But don't be afraid to state boundaries of like, these are the things that I really need. So how can we kind of compromise or communicate around those needs so that both of us are feeling like you have the space to process and I also don't have to sit and worry and be scared and, and let's see what we can try around that. And then experiment and give give time to sometimes around communication stuff especially it takes a lot of practice and and, um, many months (laughs) of trying things and sitting with them so yeah good luck and thank you for for asking because I know lots of people watching (laughs) partners they do that too so I appreciate it okay if anybody has thoughts about internal processors uh, as partners and you've had to manage that please drop a thought in the chat I am going to read this one last question, uh, and then we will wrap up. So this question says, hi, Dawn. First of all, I love your show. Thank you for equipping me with the language and the confidence to come into my sexual self with pride. Your podcast was a blessing to find. I've been getting caught up over the past few months, and I'm currently on episode 103 or so. I'm getting there. I've had something on my mind that I'm curious about, and honestly, I don't know who else to ask. I think I have a thing for virgins and I don't think I like it. I have recurring fantasies of dominating virgin guys. Like I've never been touched sexually by anyone, but my right hand virgins. I see myself as more of a sensual dom. So usually these fantasies involve me guiding them through getting to know their bodies, figuring out what feels good, watching them push past their awkwardness, taking the lead as I finally provide them with a chance to experience that kind of pleasure with someone else. I find myself being attracted to the idea of their inexperience, nervousness, and awkwardness, coupled with their eager sexual selves just waiting to be coaxed out so they can be shaped into the perfect lover and plaything. Despite these fantasies, I am adamant about virginity being a construct, and I am uncomfortable with the idea that I'm viewing someone's enduring, endearing social awkwardness and inexperience as sexual. I know I would feel weird if the shoe was on the other foot and someone was lusting over me like that. 
Not to mention, I've been in relationships with inexperienced partners before, and it's always been more frustrating than fun. Having open conversations about improving your sex life can be tough when your partner is too awkward to discuss the problem with you. So basically, should I be concerned? What do you know about this kink? Is it just a harmless fantasy or is it something to be wary of? Why am I still drawn to this kink if my experiences with it in reality so far have been far from satisfying? Am I a hypocrite? Thank you so much. I look forward to hearing from you. Okay, people on the call, what say you? Are, are you hot for virgin dudes too? Or if you've got any thoughts, I would love to hear them. <laughs> Feel free to either unmute yourself or type something in the chat before I weigh in. You know you want to do it. You know you want to like totally dom the virgin dudes and just like help them come into their sexual selves. Well, I guess my question would be, is this um, kink something that this person wants to actually act on or are they comfortable with it just remaining in their fantasies? Because if so, then it makes total sense that they would be fantasizing about something that's not actually fulfilling in real life because that's where it can become like as juicy and fun as they want it to be, right? Yep. I wouldn't be concerned. <laughs> I love that question. And that's actually exactly what my question was going to be. Like, are you wanting to go prey on a whole bunch of sexually inexperienced guys? Or is this just something that's like super hot spank bank material that you can't get enough of because you like the power and the idea of it in your fantasy land? Like there's a big distinction. So I love that. Thank you for that. Any other thoughts or or questions for this person. Yeah, or that can be an act in a fantasy way. Oh, that's such a really great point, right? Like maybe you do want to act it out, but you want to act it out with someone who's consenting and experienced and who can pretend to be that virginal self that you slowly coax over to the sensual side of being super uh, experienced. So I would not be concerned Unless the idea of this kind of playing out in real life feels predatory. Uh, so if you feel like you actually want to um, go out and kind of take advantage of people, then I think maybe that might be a good place to just talk to someone and kind of find ways around that. That can be super consensual. Uh, someone in the chat says, it's not my flavor, but I totally get the fantasy. And I agree. Uh, why wouldn't that fantasy be hot? The thought of you being so wanted and so experienced that you could totally change someone's world and life and blow their minds with every single thing you did. I mean, that's just like this intoxicating power that you would be able to have over other. And uh, often in life, we don't have that kind of power. So that sounds like a really delicious fantasy. And I think it's important to note too that this person is able to name that virginity is a construct and that um, this could be super problematic played out in real life. If you've got that kind of awareness and you have this fantasy, then I think you're going to be able to balance it in a way where you're not harming others. You're just finding something that's hot, super hot, which is to be endlessly wanted and appreciated and seen as um the suave, like cool expert that just knows all the right things, that hits all the right buttons so that they have the most mind-blowing pleasure of their lives. I mean, that sounds like a pretty yummy fantasy for a lot of different reasons because we want to be mind-blowing. And as this person noted, in real life, it's not usually like that. <laughs> so 
I have certainly lived out fantasies and found that the lived experience of the fantasy was pretty disappointing. But that doesn't mean that that fantasy doesn't stay in my stank bank. It's just I get to control all the factors in my mind so that it stays hot, even though the lived reality of it isn't. So I think you're fine. Just enjoy that hot, hot, hot stank bank material. Uh, Also, this fantasy, someone in the chat is saying, also, this fantasy can come from the idea that if it is the first time, the usual, quote unquote, masculine scripts can be a bit more open. Oh. I love that insight. Yes, absolutely. That's super yummy. Totally. Yeah. That's so rad. Actually subverting patriarchy, right? Yeah. Instead of kind of that, like, take charge. I know what to do. I'm going to slam you against the wall. You have the opposite where you have to kind of invite them in and then they do it the way you want, not the way they want. So hot. And the version whore complex. Exactly. Yes. So to the person that wrote in with that, enjoy your virgin fantasy and masturbate away and uh, and or role play it away. Find people who want to role play that with you. What if you could role play like an entire harem of like virginal guys and you were just like blowing all of their minds and teaching them how to like touch themselves and touch you? I mean, you could go a lot of really fun places with that one. So <laughs> have fun with it. <laughs> All right, so to everybody who tuned in, thank you so much for being here with us. And to all of you who were here, if you wanna like unmute yourselves and just say like, hi out there world. Uh, I would love for everyone to know you were all here. So say hello. 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 Hi. 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 Yay. Thank you so much, Dawn. <laughs> You're so welcome. Thank you so much to all of you for being here and being a part of this celebratory episode. I'm so excited to have all your voices and thoughts as part of that. The, I'm kind of feeling like I want to do this more often, where it's just like group calls that become part of the podcast, because I think that would be like really rich and fun. So thank you for being my guinea pigs in the first ever time I've done something like this. And oh, there's a puppy. Thank you so much, all of you. Yay, this was awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. Yay. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.